Hey, we're jumping in. We just finished Genesis. Guess where we're going now? And you're probably thinking, Steve, are we going to go through the whole Bible this year? No, no, we're not. Uh, It just felt normal. Jotham, what you need? You need a talk sheet? Is that why you're holding it? Hey, Caleb, we got some more talk sheets back here. We got some people that need some. All right. Um, So we're starting a new series called Out of Egypt. Um, And here's the big picture of where we're going right here with this. You ready? Out of Egypt. What's coming out of Egypt? The Israelites, right? The Israelites are coming out of Egypt. But more importantly, what we are going to learn. What are some of the lessons we can learn from the people who are coming out of Egypt? And maybe here's the thing. Here's the big picture. Maybe some of you are in bondage to sin and maybe, just maybe, God would save you from the bondage of sin and that you would come out of Egypt. So uh, really cool what we're gonna be doing for the next couple of weeks. Uh, We'll go all the way to spring break, then we'll take spring break off and then we'll come back for one more at the end of spring break or right after spring break, and we'll finish up the series at the end of March. So um, really excited about what's fixing to happen and even the conversations that we're going to have. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of jump in. Everybody got a talk sheet now? Is everybody, everybody good now? Okay, cool. Cool. All right. Caleb is jumping in. Some of y'all walked right past that table on the way in and missed it. Some of y'all are like, I need one and got one. Good for you. All right. You ready? I'm going to start with this. Ready? This is truth right out the gate. Do not put God in a box. Okay? You might want to write that at the top of your your talk sheet there. That's not in the notes, but it's do not put God in a box. What does that mean, Steve? What are you talking about? Do not create God in your own head, in your own heart, of what you think he should be and what fits with you. You cannot put God in a box because he is so much bigger than your itty bitty box that you would create. He's so much more powerful than even the most powerful person you could ever put in that box. He is more divine and he is more holy than you could ever create that little box to be. And many times... We put our own expectations, our own hopes, our own preconceived ideas of who God is on God. And when he doesn't measure up to your own preconceived ideas, many times of those are false, that we're disappointed with God and we throw him out because it didn't fit in your box or he didn't satisfy you the way you thought you should get satisfied or that he would not perform the way that you feel like he should perform. And when you do that, you put God in a box. Do not, you cannot, you should not, whatever phrase I could use, put God in a box. And here's what I would challenge every one of us, even the believer in the room who's been a believer since they were eight years old or six, maybe some five-year-olds, I don't know. If you feel like you've been a Christian your whole life and you've got God figured out, be careful. Be careful. Don't put God in a box. And the sad thing is that many of us, and I'm going to say it because I can and I should, the Bellevue babies in the room, you have allowed 
Bellevue to put God in a box and to craft the box for you. You should exercise your faith this way. You should think God this way. And you know what? Many of those things are absolutely true and right. And the things that you've heard your whole life are absolutely true and right. But I would be very careful that you would believe that that's all he is. Because as you grow and as you mature in your faith, there is so much more that God would want to do in your heart and your life and for you to discover about who he is. Way much more, way much more than the box that you have created him to be. I stepped on toes right there and I'm sorry, but I'm sitting right over there and it was all over me. Do not and you cannot put God in a box. And you know what? The book of Exodus breaks every box of every person on the planet. If you think through the story of Exodus, I mean, I could go through the 10,000 foot view of it, right? Moses stands in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, I'm going to talk a little bit about this, but he oppresses the people. Let my people go! And plagues and all those things happens. Parting of the sea, big moment. Outside of the box moment. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. After this is over, God gives them the Ten Commandments and ways to have a relationship and interact with him. And then a new nation is created. Everything about the box that these little Israelites had about who God is was exploded in the book of Exodus. I want to ask you a question. How long does it take for someone to get to know someone? Okay, we'll just, we'll just talk about it. Like um, this girl meets this guy, right? And this guy meets this girl. And they, they, I think I like you. But you're like, wait a minute, I got to get to know you, right? That's how it starts. I want to get to know you more. How many of you have used that phrase, right? Okay, like I got to get to know you a little more. How long does it take for someone to get to know someone? Anybody want to know? A lifetime. <laughs> yes, you're right. Um, I mean, how, how do you get to know them? You, you ask questions, right? That's how you get to know them, right? Uh, you spend quality time with them. You ask them good questions. Uh, good questions like, let me help you out. Who is your hero? Okay, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Any other answer doesn't do. Uh, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? What is your biggest fear? Those are genuine get to know you questions, right? What's your favorite family vacation? The beach. Uh, what would you change about yourself if you could? But don't do it because I like you just the way you are. Greatest pickup line ever. Here's the last question. What really makes you angry, right? These are all questions. These are all great questions on how to get to know someone. And you know what? As we read through the book of Exodus, we're gonna get to know God. And that's really cool because we need to know more of who he is. And we should never get to the place in our hearts and in our lives and even in our faith where we think we got him figured out and we know exactly who he is. I love this because the Israelite nation, it took them a long time to get to know who God was. It just didn't happen in one moment. Although there were a lot of moments that happened along the way for the Israelites. But over the course of 40 years, 
Many of them got to know who God was, and they finally figured it out. It takes time, y'all. The longer you journey with the Lord, the more you get to know him. And if you think you've known him, if you've only been a believer for six months, you're gravely mistaken. Because this journey of faith is not a sprint. This journey of faith and relationship with God is a marathon. You've heard me say that. I can't tell you how many times. But the sad thing about our culture and the sad thing about who we are is that it has to be instant. If it's not instant, if the relationship doesn't happen in the first six minutes, right, then it's, that's not how it works with God and God's kingdom. Yes, we come to know him in salvation, but yet there is so much more about who he is. He not just saves you, but he walks with you and journeys with you for the rest of your life. That's beautiful and that's cool. And that's what it means to get to know God. It's not instantaneous. It's a journey. This is the Israelite story. Journey of walking in the desert <laughs> for a long time. Right? This is the story. How much time does it take to truly know somebody? Anybody want to take a guess of that? How long? Six months? A year? Three years? Six years? I should have done a vote there. To truly know someone, does it take six months? Raise your hand. Nobody? Okay, one, two, maybe. That was a quick up and down. All right. If you think it takes a year to truly know somebody, raise your hand. Seth, how many times are you going to vote? <laughs> How many would say it takes three to four years? Okay, so that's about that's about majority of you. You're actually, uh, it all depends on what stat you read, but there's actually been a science to it. I Googled it. Uh, and it, it's anywhere from between six months to a year, or some would say to truly know someone would take three to four years. Three to four years. You're like, wait a minute. Does that mean I have to date for three years before I can get married? You know? Shelly and I have been married for how long? 28 years? Yeah. 28. 22 years? 22 years. Hey, I just proved my point. Hey, it takes time to get to know one another. I still am learning her. She's still learning me, right? It, this has taken a lot of years, 22 years for us to really get to the place where we genuinely know each other and we accept one another for who each other is. Now, I want you to think about that, that truth, even about relationships, even about marriage, but even thinking about your relationship with the Lord. Think about your relationship with the Lord. Are you really, do you really know him? It's obvious that he already knows you. But do you really know him? Do you know him in the fullness of who he is? Or do you just know him as a distant person that's sitting off in the corner, maybe that's watching your life? Or is the God of the universe actively involved in who you are and knows you inside and out? And that you know him in that regard. That's the place all of us ought to get to. I've been journeying with the Lord for 40 years. 
40 years, and I am still learning about who he is. Even as I study this book of Exodus, I am learning things about who God is that is still blowing my mind. Still blowing my mind. And guys, that's the journey. That's the joy of the journey with God, is that he's always going to reveal more. He's always going to reveal more and more who he is. But you got to get curious. That's the secret. That's the secret to faith. That's the secret to this whole thing is be curious. Always be curious about who God is. And that is the story of the Israelites in the book of Exodus. They are learning and discovering who God is. And here's what's really cool. God is faithful to tell them who he is. And God is faithful to reveal his character and his nature to the people. And guess what? He's going to do the exact same thing to us as we journey through this book. He's going to teach us more about who he is and his character and his love and his genuine care for us. It's so cool. And I hope that you would get curious. If you have a Bible reading plan, we gave them one out at Catalyst. We have more of those. I think they're back at the spot. But if you're interested in jumping in Exodus and going along and reading with us through the book of Exodus for the next month, that would be incredible. Okay, so um, let's jump in. Y'all ready? You're like, wait, Steve, that was just the introduction is where I was. Uh, now we're into the teaching outline. That's at least what's on my notes right here. Teaching outline. You ready? Um, Here's what's happening in the book of Exodus, where we get to Exodus chapter one. If you have your Bible, go there, Exodus chapter one. At the end of Genesis, Joseph is on the scene. Like his family, it's, it's great. They moved into Egypt, right? The Pharaoh at that time took them in. They're living and Joseph is number two in command and all the things are going great for him and his family. That's how the book of Genesis ends. And then Exodus picks up. And in the timeline of history, there are 400 years between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. You're like, whoa. It's not, hey, I just turned a page over, you know? <laughs> There's 400 years between the time that Genesis ended and Joseph dies and Exodus starts. And that's where we pick up in Exodus chapter one, verse one. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel. And if you remember, the sons of Israel were revealed in Genesis. And I love it because if you go back and look at Genesis, I think it's 30, somewhere in the 30s. I can't remember exactly. But it goes through the genealogy. It's the exact same names at the end of Genesis as they are in the start of Exodus. Okay. And I'm going to try not to butcher these names, all right? Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Nephetili, Gad, and Asher. There's 12 of them, all right? Uh, 12, I think that's right. Yeah, 12. All the people who descended from Jacob were 70 people. That's an important number to remember. 70 people. But Joseph was already in Egypt, and Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. So that was 400, so 400 years ago, okay? Verse 7. But the sons of Israel were fruitful 
and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Does that sound familiar to you? You want me to read it again? But the sons of Israel were fruitful and greatly increased and multiplied. Does it sound familiar? Right? And became exceedingly mighty so the land was filled with them. Where else have you heard those particular, those two words? In Genesis, right? In particular, (laughs) at creation. In particular, it was when Adam and Eve and God said, be fruitful and multiply. And then the promise to Abraham was what? You're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars, right? Sand in the shore. Be fruitful and multiply. What was the promise given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? It's the same phrase, same words used. And guess what? And this is the evidence of a promise fulfilled. Okay? 400 years started with 70. Okay? Some scholars would say by the time Exodus 1 happens, two to three million Israelites were in Egypt at that time. 70 to two to three million. That's a lot, right? That's a lot of babies, right? (laughs) A lot of babies. And here's the thing. I tried to do the math on it. I tried, like legit, tried to do the math on it. I was like, if you start with 70 and you end with two to three million, I'm just say two and a half million. And then it's compounding, right? So it starts, I lost the math, all right? I was trying to think, okay, on average, it would be 5,000 babies a year, but you really can't do it that way because... Every family has three, an uh, average of three kids and, and some families have more and then it just compounds and those kids have kids and then those kids have kids and have kids and it just expounds like this. So like, it's amazing how God promised them and told them to be fruitful and multiply and they would increase and they would have descendants as numerous as the stars. It's starting to happen. That's point number one, you ready? Point number one is God is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to his promise. It's amazing to see the explosion, the real life explosion of people being fruitful and multiplying. If this makes you creeped out, there was a lot of babies. They were having a lot of babies a lot of time. And it was ordained by God. It was ordained by God to have lots of babies. And they did. And they did. And their kids did. And here's the thing. Generations have passed 400 years, 400 years, generations have passed. The nation was growing so fast and so much, and there was so much turnover in the land of Egypt where they were living that the pharaohs of that time, who actually there was Three, between the 400 years, there were three different, one was a dynasty, which was family passed down, then there was Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh. Like there's a lot of um, turnover, if you want to say, in the land of Egypt in the leadership. And now you get to a place in Exodus where there's a Pharaoh who has no idea who who Joseph is, or even what Joseph did for Egypt. You know, the whole famine thing. You remember that story, the whole famine? They have no idea what Joseph had done for Egypt. So this Pharaoh king, who is seeing all of these Israelites being fruitful and multiplying, gets very scared. 
he starts going, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. This is not just a family group anymore. This is a nation. And this Pharaoh who sees what's going on starts getting very scared and very paranoid. He's a narcissist, if you know what that means. It's all about me and my kingdom. And these foreigners, quote unquote, who are not Egyptian are living in my land. If someone tries to come and overthrow my kingdom, that Israelite nation will probably side with them and overtake me. Narcissistic, fearful Pharaoh. And so he takes matters into his own hands, right? He says, this nation cannot flourish. This nation cannot grow anymore. And so he puts his thumb on them and makes their labor very hard. And we'll read about that. Here, let's go ahead and read it. So um, Exodus 1, verses 8. We'll start in verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal stewardly, steward, yeah, that one, um, with them shrewdly. There you go. I had to think about it. Shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join with those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. You see his paranoia? Pharaoh's paranoia, verse 11. So they appointed taskmasters over them to oppress them with hard labor. And they built Pharaoh's storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied. That's wild. So the more that Pharaoh worked them, the more babies they had. That, that you know, for him, it doesn't make sense. If I'm going to work these men till they're, they cannot work anymore, they're going to go home exhausted. They're not going to want to spend the night with their wives. They're going to just want to go to sleep. But that's not true. That's not what happened. That's what Pharaoh was thinking. But the Israelites are continuing to be fruitful and multiplying. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied, the more they spread out, so, that the dreaded, uh, so they dreaded the sons of Israel. The Egyptians used violence to compel the sons of Israel to labor. And they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks. And at all kinds of labor in the field, all the laborers were violently, they violently had them perform as slaves. And so this is where the Israelites became enslaved to Egypt. That's how the Israelites became slaves is because of Pharaoh's fear of being taken over as a king. And so he puts the hammer down on all the Israelites, hoping that he will crush that nation so that the Egyptians will rise. Do you see a, a dilemma that's being created here? And here's the point. You ready? Here's the point. God works in the middle of great oppression. He always has a plan. So even in the middle of this great oppression that the Egyptian Pharaoh is trying to put down on Egypt, the plan of God is still being accomplished, even in the middle of great oppression. Do you see how they were fruitful and multiplied? How the promise was continued, even in the middle of great oppression? Y'all, you gotta see this. You gotta see this for a truth. You may be feeling oppressed in your life and in your, your heart, but oh God, 
He is so good that he will still even work in the middle of your oppression. You got to see that. If you think you're depressed, if you think you're so far gone, you're so way, uh, you know, your life is the worst of the worst. God still knows you, cares for you, and is at work. You just, like the Israelite nation, you just have to be patient. And I love what the Israelite nation did. In the middle of their oppression, they didn't turn to themselves, they turned to God and they started crying out to God for help. And then, dun, 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 here comes the rescue. Let's keep reading. Pharaoh, it's just not enough that he oppresses them. He's getting more and more fearful of the nation is still multiplying. And he goes, it takes drastic measures, right? Verse 15, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. The Pharaoh is talking to the Hebrew midwives. Do you know who, what a midwife does? It assists and help in the birth of babies, right? That's what a midwife does. And so Pharaoh goes to the midwives, right? And he's going to strike a deal. One of whom was named Siphraph, and the other was named... I don't know how to say that. Is that how you... I may have exaggerated that a little bit. And he said, this is what Pharaoh said, when you're, when you're helping the Hebrew women to give birth, see them upon the birth stool. If it is a son, then they shall be put to death. But if it is a daughter, they shall live. But this is great. Verse 17, God still works in the middle of oppression. You go, ready? Verse 17. But the midwives feared who? God. They feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, I love it. He's, he's upset. The Pharaoh's upset. He's like, well, this, this ain't going to plan. And this is, I love it. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can even get to them. Y'all see this? This is good. This is in the Bible, y'all. This is in the Bible. The midwives are trying to get to, they're slow, right? I'm pretty sure they were slow on purpose. But what they told Pharaoh was like, by the time I get there, it's already done. The Hebrew women, they're not like Egyptian women. It's fast, right? Labor, woo, there it is. Um, and so the midwives said, because the Hebrew women, verse 20. So God, this is so great. So God was good to the midwives and the people, what? multiplied and became very mighty. And because of the midwives feared God, he established households for them. You know what? Those midwives that honored God, God blessed them. And he blessed them with the very thing that the midwives were there to help with, more babies. They had huge households. God blessed these midwives because of their obedience and fear of God. There's another little truth, a little gold nugget in the middle of this whole thing. And so if you're wondering about how I should obey God and fear God and what would happen on the other side of my obedience, even though I may think it may not be go so well for me, if I still would walk in obedience to God, what, can, what is he faithful to do? To bless me. Because I choose to fear him in my life and choose to walk in obedience to him in my life. Y'all, if you're ever struggling on what decision you need to make, whether it's, just, some of you are like, it may be evil or it may be good. 
I pray that you would fear the Lord so much that you would lean toward good, that you would lean toward godliness, because in the moment when you choose to lean toward godliness, he is faithful to bless and faithful to obey. If you choose to walk in disobedience and evil and expect God to bless that, you just put God in a box. Y'all, there's some good people in the Bible who did great things, and these midwives were one of them. And so Pharaoh tries to cut it off at that moment. But God, even in the midst of oppression, was good and was faithful to accomplish his plan. And then Pharaoh gets even more ticked. He gets even more mad. And it's not just, I'm going to catch him, you know, using the midwives. Now I'm just going to, I'm just going to cut it off. And this is in verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, in other words, major decree worldwide, like nationwide, this is what's going to happen. Every son who is born, you are to throw into the what? Nile. But every daughter you are to keep alive. And here's the reason why he did this. Well, it's twofold. One, some scholars would say that it was a, a spiritual act of throwing these babies into the river was to make a sacrifice unto the God of the Nile. He used religious excuses to be able to accomplish his purposes. But the other reason why is that if he could take away all of the men in the Israelite nation, that means the women would marry Egyptians and that they would be absorbed into the Egyptian nation and then the Israelites would be no more. It was basically genocide, is what Pharaoh was trying to do. He was so upset, he was so fearful, he was so narcissistic that he made all of these decisions just to save himself and his nation. But God had a plan in the middle of oppression. And here's what's really cool. As Sad as this is, I'm sure that there are babies that have, that Israelite babies that were thrown into that Nile, but there was one Israelite baby that was thrown into the Nile, but was wrapped in a basket that was sent down the Nile for a princess to find. God has a plan in the middle of oppression, He always has a plan. And he will always accomplish his will in your life, in my life, and even in a great nation like the Israelites. So what are some takeaways? You ready? Four of them. I'm going to go really quick. And these are kind of big picture, big picture of, of not only what we've talked about tonight, but also big picture for even the study of Exodus that we're going to go through in the next couple of weeks. One, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's you, that's me. You feeling ordinary? Great. Because that's the person that God wants to use. I surrender. I surrender. We just sang it. I surrender. I will make room for you. I surrender. You know what you need to surrender? Your expectations of, one, your life, and even the expectations of who God is. That you would surrender those expectations and say, God, I want to know truly who you are, and I want you to tell me truly where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. I want to be a vessel for you, God. 
That's Moses, and we're going to learn about that next week. Number two, God wants to be known. He wants to be known. And you know what? The God of the Bible, sometimes you're going to come into a place where he's not going to fit in your box, and you're not going to know what to do. And I call that a collision of faith. And I pray that in the moments where God doesn't fit your expectations of who he is, and we're going to read about a story here in the next couple of weeks. You ever wanted to know why God hardened Pharaoh's heart? We're going to dive into that. Because that may break your mold, of that box of what you think or who you think God is. We're going to discover that. Hopefully you come back for that. That'll be in the next couple of weeks. But here you go. He wants to be known. He wants you to discover him. He wants you to be curious. He wants you to know him. And he wants to make himself known to you. And that's what he's doing in Exodus. And that's what he's wanting to do with you right here, right now at Exodus 15. He wants to be known. Number three, God loves his people and puts a plan in place to save them. Let my people go. Parting a Red Sea. We'll talk about that. That's fun. That's a fun conversation you think about that. When all else fails, what do I do? I trust God for the exit. I trust God for the exit. And the Israelites, it came out of nowhere. It did not meet their expectations. It did not, the box that they had created God. God said, I'm going to blow your box up. How about we part the sea? And you walk across on dry ground, not muddy ground like what you do when you walk out there, right? Dry ground. Blew the box wide open for the Israelites in that moment. He likes doing that kind of stuff, y'all. He likes doing that kind of stuff. But is your heart open? Is your mind open to discovering truly who he is? I'm excited for the journey that we're on for Exodus. And we're going to see the plan of salvation. You know what? God provided a way of salvation for the Israelites, but he also provided a a way of salvation for you and I. And it came at a great sacrifice. And that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for you to save you from your sin so that you and I would come out of Egypt. We would come out of the oppression of sin, that we would come out of the bondage of sin. God paved a way. He made a way in the middle of your sin, in the middle of your oppression, even in the middle of that. God knew he had a plan. He always had, and his name was Jesus Christ. And I can't tell it to you any more plainly that God loves you. He cares for you. He's... He's loved you and cared for you from the day you were born. You know, I was talking about earlier about how, how long does it take to get to know someone? How long you know, does it take to you truly know someone? Do you want to know what are the two most endearing qualities of someone as you get to know them? In other words, what's the quality that all of us are longing for? And getting to know someone. You ready? Here's the first one. Empathy empathy. If someone that I'm getting to know empathizes with me and seeks to understand who I am, I'm all in. 
You know what the next characteristic is? That they are genuine. That they're genuine in who they are and what they do. Their actions toward me are genuine. Guess what? I can't think of a more genuine act than to give one's life to lay it down for a friend. And that's what God did for you and I. Y'all, that's what he did for you and I. The most empathized, genuine act of love that any of us could ever see or want was displayed on the cross. Jesus Christ died for you. God's one and only son. In other words, he knows where you are. Empathy. He knows your sin. He knows the state of your sin. He knows that if you continue to live in sin, your eternity is going to be spent, separated from him in hell. That's the just payment. The wages of sin is death. But here's the beautiful thing of what Jesus did. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ, there is freedom. There is freedom. But if you are finding yourself in this moment in the bondage of sin, I want to give you the most greatest lifesaver plan ever. And that is to believe Jesus Christ died on a cross for you to repent of your sin, to walk away from it, to never come out of Egypt and never go back. That's what it means to repent, to get out of there. And that you would willingly say, yes, God, you would receive him into your life. Yes, God, I believe that you died on the cross for me to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe you love me so much that you sent your one and only son. I believe that with my whole heart. And God, would you come into my heart Would you come into my life? I receive you into my life. Be Lord of my life. Be boss of my life. That is the most greatest salvation plan ever. And here's the beautiful thing, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness. Anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin, saved from hell. But you have to call on the name of the Lord. You have to say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Take away my sin. I want to be in a relationship with you. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're finding yourself in this moment, realizing that you are so far from God because of your sin, maybe I would have the opportunity just to lead you in a prayer of confession of sin to be in a right standing with God. I want every one of you to be in a right relationship with God. I want every one of you to know him as Lord and Savior of your life. If you're a new believer, if you're, you walked into this room, you don't know who Jesus is, maybe tonight's the night where you say yes to him. And I want to invite you to make that decision. I'm not going to force it on you because the most amazing love is a chosen love. It's a chosen love. And this is a choice that you can make in your heart and your life.